What's up, guys? Hope you had a great Christmas. I'm recording this. It's a few days after Christmas. Uh, we had a good Christmas, although this last week for me has been a little challenging. I uh, actually had a few stops in the hospital and um, it was a little, little bit of a crazy week. Seems to be that everything is okay. I don't know if it's just stress or, or what, but uh, we got a lot going on, and, and so I'm sure that had something to do with uh, why I was experiencing some of the things I was, but here I am trying to record another episode. I know I've promised you guys that I'd keep doing this, and so I want to try and make good on that promise. And and this is another one of those weeks, second week in a row, where it's it's tough to know exactly what to talk about because there's so much going on. It's You could pick anything to talk about, and it would probably be worth talking about because we live in some crazy times right now. And it's tough, honestly, for me because I'm not a conspiracy theorist. Uh, I tend not to try and gravitate towards most of those things for obvious reasons. However, with some of the things that are going on, it's really difficult, at least for me, to watch some of this and, and digest it and absorb it and not really think, geez, some of these conspiracies seem to be coming to, re coming to fruition or becoming reality right in front of our very eyes. And I don't really know what to do with that exactly. Um, I think that there are certainly some powers that be that are trying to fundamentally change what America is, what America has been, what America, at least in my mind, should be. And I think that can be scary. I mean, I think that can be scary for all of us. And yet for those of us who put our faith in Jesus, he tells us, the Bible tells us, some say 365 times, some say less. Nonetheless, the Bible tells us, do not fear. And I find myself constantly having to remind myself of that command because, frankly, it's a sin to be afraid in that way. And, and yet, when we look around, when we look and we see what's going on in the world, I mean, it's easy to let our faith weaken. It's easy to become afraid, right? When you look at the laws that they're passing, the things that they're doing, the trajectory that our culture and our, our country, frankly, seems to be on. For those of us who cling to more traditional beliefs, for those of us who, who look at the outcomes, like I talked about in my last episode of all these policies, and we go, man, none of these outcomes align with the promises that are being made that have to do with where we're going. The outcomes look like the polar opposite of the promises. And for those of us who like to study history, for those of us who try to stay informed of where we've been in the past as civilizations and, and what worked and what didn't, what we know so often is what we're doing right now does not work, right? It's kind of like I think so often when we look at some of the big ticket items. And for me, one of the biggest ones is that we are essentially moving into a lawless society. When, when we have legitimately two sets of rules, we have, and it's crazy because people sometimes will say, no, well, it's two sets of rules, but it's just for the, let's say the, the let, I'm just going to use an example, okay, the homeless population. They don't have to abide by any rules. And yet the law-abiding citizens have to abide by all the rules. I think it's actually bigger than that. I think part of the problem is you have situations like the homeless population where like legitimately they don't have to obey any rules. I mean, think about this. I want to build a deck in my backyard. 
and I have to go through a permitting process and I have to get vetted and sometimes I have to have engineering and hey, I might have to have a critical areas study and I might have to spend thousands of dollars and a whole bunch of time just to put a deck in my backyard. It's insanity. It's completely insane. And yet if you want to, I don't know, live in a homeless encampment, not only can you build whatever you want, you can do whatever you want, you can dump whatever you want, you can literally deal drugs, it doesn't matter. And for logical, sane people, we're like, what the heck is going on? That's insane. This is not, this is not what this country is about. Yes, do homeless folks in, in those examples have other challenges? And, and, and should we be dealing with some of those challenges other ways? Totally. But there still should be the law. And if you're not going to enforce the law on one set of people, you shouldn't be enforcing the law on the other set. Well, no, what you should be doing is enforcing the law for everyone the same. I'll give you another example. This is a real practical example. My wife's in Seattle for my sister's birthday over the weekend, or maybe it was last week. I don't remember. And they're outside of a restaurant and they got to park kind of down the road and they park on the sidewalk and they go in and they eat and they come back out. And you know what? Lo and behold, there's a parking ticket on the windshield. But right behind my wife's car is a motorhome that has legitimately probably been there for weeks, if not months. No parking ticket. Nothing. They can stay there. They can live there. And they have some lame duck excuse about whatever that makes that okay. And yet for the law-abiding citizen, well, I guess in this case, she didn't law-abide, but that's okay. She'll pay the ticket. But then there's a part of me that's like, well, maybe we shouldn't pay the ticket. Because, I mean, if they don't have to pay the ticket, then why, why is anybody getting a ticket? Why are we not treating people the same? What happened in this country? This is crazy. The reason that we are going down the path that we're going down is because we don't have accountability anymore. And what I, what I started out with earlier in, in this little topic here was, but it's not just like homeless people or people who are struggling and then ordinary people. It's also the the ultra-powerful, they have their own set of rules, right? They can do things, they can get away with things, they can manipulate things, they can buy themselves out of things, and they have their own set of rules, and they don't get held accountable. So really, it's just us. It's like normal people trying to survive, trying to make it in life, and we're the only ones who are being held to any sort of standard, and nobody else gets held to a standard. And we wonder why things are so screwed up. Well, this country, a republic, a democratic republic, is built upon the law. And when you don't have the law, you don't have anything. I think of like children, right? I mean, if I raised my kids where I never had any discipline in their lives, they would be horrible people when they grew up. And you have this sector of, or this set of people out there who think that that's not true, who think that like, oh no, people are good. They're inherently great. And they're going to do the right thing and they're going to figure it out. And, you know, they might hit a few bumps along the road, but at the end of the day, they're going to they're gonna be okay and civilization will be fine. And I'm sorry, but like human history proves the exact opposite of that. Human history proves that as we become more lawless, as we become more free to do whatever we want without any restraints, horrible, horrible things happen. And here, that's where we find ourselves right now. We find ourselves in a situation where there's like the majority of sane, normal, reasonable people are the only ones being held accountable. And then the ultra powerful have no accountability and the ultra poor have no accountability. And we're sitting here going, how in the heck do we get here and how do we get out? And I think as I do more of these, what, what I, maybe part of why I struggle to figure out what to talk about is because 
with everything going on at the end of the day, it's it's like you got to ultimately put your flag, stick it in the ground and, and sort of claim your spot and say, this is where I stand. This is what I believe in. And you have to be willing to deal with the repercussions of that. And so that's that can be a little challenging, right, to just kind of go out there and to put it out there. Because like I've said, ulti- excuse me, like I've said multiple times, I don't have all the answers. Part of why I'm doing this is just because we need the conversation. You know, we've got tech companies that want to censor people. We've got the government on one side that wants to think that thinks that we need more censorship. We've got the other side that all of a sudden now thinks we don't need censorship. And and it's like, no, what we need is we need a public forum. That's the whole purpose of the free freedom of speech so that we can actually talk about things. We can have ideas. We can banter back and forth. We can do it peaceably. You know what happens when people can't talk to each other like normal civilians, like civilized, normal people, they fight. Like they punch each other. They shoot each other. They do all these crazy things. And then we're sitting here going like, why are all these things happening all of a sudden? Well, gee, I don't know. Maybe it's because we can't have civilized conversations anymore. Maybe because the public square is being stripped from us so that we're out there wanting to talk about these things, wanting to work through these things, wanting to find middle ground wanting to figure out what matters, what doesn't, how to process through some of these very nuanced conversations and, and topics and challenges. Oh, but we're not allowed to. We're either a Nazi or a conspiracy theorist or a, or a socialist or a con- whatever, right? You name the term. And then we put each other in these little tiny buckets. And then once you're in a bucket and once there's a line in the sand, you can't come across. And then we wonder why I call it tribalism 2.0. That's where we're at. We've, we've reached tribalism 2.0. We call ourselves the most sophisticated generation in the history of humanity, and in my mind, we're the least sophisticated. Because we've literally just gone back in time to like 4,000 years ago, and we're treating each other like, like tribes. And like, hey, if you're not part of my tribe, I'm going to do X, Y, or Z to you, or I won't talk to you, or I'm going to fight you, or whatever. And, and it just seems to me that a big part of that is that we're not allowed to talk to each other anymore, at least not like we have been. And I think personally that needs to change. Now, how we change it and, and what we do with it is a complicated situation. Freedom of speech, right? Obviously, we don't want necessarily things out on YouTube or so, social media where we're encouraging people to hurt each other, right? Um, that's a real problem. That's a, a challenge that has to be worked through. At the same time, we don't want, at least I don't think normal people want, your legitimate opinions to be stifled and to be just banished from the face of the planet. When I went to college, I, I was a communication major at Washington State University. At the time, it was one probably one of the top three uh, communication schools in the country. Probably still is. And what were we taught on the first day? First day, the role of the media is to be the watchdog of the government. That was it. That was the role. Well, now the media seems to be in bed with the government, seems to push the, the narrative of the government, and on both sides, we don't really have like free press anymore. What we have is like what we had in the beginning of America, where we basically just have propaganda for each side, each party. And it's not working very well. And it's not working because people, like I said this before, we ha- we're, we're, we're in a truth war. What do you believe? How do you know what's true? I mean, you can pick any topic, like legitimately any topic. You can go on the internet, you can Google it, and you can find research and data that shows it's true and research and data that shows it's false. And then you're sitting there going, well, I, I don't know what to believe. I don't know how to believe. And then we don't teach kids anymore in school. At least it sure doesn't seem like we do. 
how to use like any reason in their thinking, any critical thinking tactics to determine and to discern what is true. And so here we are, we're in this situation where it's very difficult for people to discern what's true. It's very difficult for people to have a conversation with someone who doesn't think or believe the same way that we do. And then, like I always say, when you can't discern truth, man, you know what happens? Conspiracy theories. Because people are literally just trying to make sense of what seems so unsensical. And so they, they have to start developing models. Like what is, a, what is a mental model? What is a social norm? It's something that we develop in our brain as part of our framework so that we can easier, we can make easier sense of the world, right? So that every time we run into a situation or we see something or we hear something, our brain doesn't have to do all this extra processing to make sense of it. That's why we come up with stereotypes and, and mental models and social norms. And so when you make the truth completely undiscernible for most people, that's what happens. Some of those people start creating conspiracies because they're trying to make sense of something that makes no sense. I mean, look at COVID. Like you got Georgia and Texas that are basically doing whatever they want. And I looked this morning and the, and the deaths per million are still less than, I don't know, two thirds of the country. And they're living normally. And then you got people in California or Washington who are almost completely shut down. Businesses are dying. People are committing suicide. They're going into depression. Like the outcomes of, for, for the majority of people are substantially worse. And yet the outcome in terms of deaths per million and total deaths aren't that different. And so people are going like, how do you make sense of that? Because it seems like what they're telling us doesn't make any sense. So you get conspiracy theories. Like I said in the beginning, some of those seem to be coming true. I don't know how you don't look at it and, and, and see like, yeah, there is a reset going on. Is it the great reset? Some, some, I don't know, organized tactical thing. I, I don't know. I don't, I have no idea, honestly, but it sure seems like they're pushing a certain agenda in certain places that do line up with when you go out and you actually read about, you know, what, what that great reset might be. I mean, honestly, it, it, it seems to line up. Again, I'm not saying that it's, it's some coordinated effort on some broad level. And I was talking to somebody the other day. I, I think, honestly, some of the conspiracy theories that are out there, I don't think that it's necessarily most of the time like some, you know, five people in a room <laughs> trying to figure out how to, how to organize this thing that ruins the world. For, well, that, that might happen, but I don't think the execution of it typically happens that way. Instead... What I think so often happens is you have leadership that comes up with an idea, let's say communism. And what they do is they don't necessarily just go out and tell you they're going to indoctrinate you to be a communist. No, what they do is they get little snippets of their agenda and they start teaching it to people. But they call it something else. It's almost like a Trojan horse. Like they call it something else. They make it sound really good. And then they indoctrinate enough people along the way into that lane, into those ways of thinking. And before you know it, they didn't have to tell anybody they were a communist, but they have a whole bunch of communists or at least a whole bunch of people who believe in things that are part of a communist agenda. And you're seeing that happen today. You're seeing that happen all over the country, especially in places like California and Oregon and Washington. And yeah, it's a, it's a crazy thing. It's a freaky thing. And so where do you go? What do you do? 
I think that's the thing I've been struggling with the most. And, and part of why I've had such a hard time, honestly, figuring out what to talk to, excuse me, what to talk about is because what, what do you do about it? Like, I'm just one guy. I'm a guy in a small town, right? I don't have a lot of influence or authority. What do I do about it? What do you do about it? And I just keep going back to, I, I, I think first, the Bible says, humble yourselves, seek my face, pray, and I'll restore your land. Now, I understand God was saying that about Israel. He wasn't necessarily saying that to the church. But I think the principle is clear throughout Scripture. You know, a lot of us have wandered down paths that don't really line up with Scripture, that don't really line up with what we believe in. or And maybe it's not super far off, but, but like you just go one or two degrees off and you go for miles and miles and miles, and before you know it, you're 60 miles from where you want to be. And I think so often in, in American and Western Christianity, that's where we found ourselves. We, we haven't stood up for what we know to be true or what we believe in. We, we've sort of let culture, we haven't even engaged in culture in, in most areas. We just let it railroad us. And, and now here we are. And I think part, part of it is like we're, we're in culture. It, the Bible says be in the world, but not of the world. But so oftentimes we find ourselves being of the world instead of being in it and being separate inside of it. And, and so I think the point is, humble yourselves. Say, we, we've messed up. We've bought into the lie. We've played a part in why we're here. And, and honestly, I look at the world and I go, like I said in my first video, I think, like the train is barreling down the tracks, downhill, and the brakes are not working. That's what it feels like. I don't know how you stop the train. Uh, I don't, aside from a miracle. And so I think that's the first thing is we got we to gotta pray. We got to come together and say, we're humbling ourselves. We've played a part in all of this. And, and Lord, we need you to step in. We need you to do what we know can't be done. And I think that's something that the church and that believers have done throughout history, really. And, and there have been times that God does step in and, and he does do a mighty work. And I think we need that right now. I think the second thing is, and maybe more practical in some way, well, probably not. Nothing's more practical than that. But but in terms of like, if you want an action item of something you can do other than that, I would say is it starts locally. I mean, I think that America was supposed to be, what it was founded on was this idea of independent states that were tied together, united together by a limited form of federal government. And the point was because not every state wanted to be like every other state. They wanted different culture. They wanted some different laws. They wanted to have different fiscal policy. They wanted difference. They wanted autonomy, but they still wanted the power. They wanted the, I don't even know what to, how to say it, but they, they wanted the, I don't know, the, the, the umbrella, right, of something bigger. And it, it worked really well for some time. But now we find ourselves where it feels like the federal government has gotten so big that it doesn't really matter what state you're in, so to speak, because the federal government is going to basically dictate and, and tell you in your state what to do. That's not what it was supposed to be. And so I think, well, how do we change that? Well, obviously, we have to keep voting at the federal level. But I do think it starts locally because we still do have some autonomy. And, and you can see it in the response to COVID. 
I'll tell you right now, like, and this is one of those flag in the ground moments, I guess, but I wish I, I lived somewhere else during all of this because I see the freedom that people enjoy in some of these more conservative states. And, and I long for that. I do because I'm, I'm not afraid. I'm not buying into the fear of what, what they're perpetrating. Do I think that COVID is a serious thing and a dangerous thing? 100% I do. But do I think it's bad enough to warrant what we are doing here? I don't. And I think if you went out and you polled people and you said, hey, if, if, if your city or your state could adopt policies of X, Y, or Z, what would, what would you like? I, I actually think that the majority, and I might be wrong by the way, but it, I think that the majority of people would say, yes, I would like to have more freedom. I would like to have more freedom. And well, how do we get more freedom when you live in a place like Washington state or California? California might be gone, I don't know. There's some crazy, I mean, I think Washington's crazy and California's gone completely insane. But we start with local elections. When you look at the stats and you see that like 20% of people vote for city council or county commissioner, it's ridiculous. And then we complain about why our, our cities are being overrun by homeless encampments or why socialist agendas are taking over. It's like, well, because those are the people that got voted for. And I will say that that side of the, of the aisle is very good at organizing. They're always the same 20 or 30 people that show up at every city council meeting, every county commissioner meeting, and they're the loudest, most obnoxious. Not always obnoxious, but a lot of them are obnoxious. And they win. And then normal people like us, we don't show up because we got jobs and kids and lives. And so in some way, somehow, we've got to figure out how to actually organize and how to show up and how to fight back and how to vote for people and how to get more people to vote. Because honestly, if we can change our, our little city, well, your city and, and the things that your city adopts or your county, if you're in the county, have the most impact on your daily life, on my daily life, period. More than the federal government, more than the state government. And if we can start with the city, very often we just had a city council member here in Olympia, where I live, Olympia, Washington. Now she's a state representative. That's what happens, right? You put people in, in power and politics in your local jurisdiction. And if, if they're good at what they're doing, regardless of what side of the aisle you find them on, if, if, if their party thinks they're good at what they're doing, guess what? Promotion time. And so we have to start getting better at putting people on our city councils, at actually showing up to vote, at actually determining what our local policy looks like. We have to give it crap about local politics, more even than national politics. We got to do it. And I think if we do it, listen, like in city of Olympia, there's seven council members and all seven of them, maybe six, are pretty much in, in line with the socialist agenda. Well, how do you change the outcomes that you're seeing in the city of Olympia, which are not good by and large? Well, you get new leadership. You get six or seven people on there that don't believe in socialism, that don't believe America is, is, a, is a country where socialist agendas are what we want. We put people who don't believe in that in, in office, and guess what? They start voting different. We start getting different outcomes. You start getting different outcomes, people start buying into things that maybe they didn't believe in before. 
The problem in some of these places is we don't even have that opportunity. And part of it, it's our own fault. And then guess what? If that fails, then you move, right? And, and that's the reality. Like we all might get to a point where we just decide, where we have to decide. We don't want to, but where literally it just comes down to the point where, hey, we've tried everything we can. We've given it our all. We did not run away. We didn't, we, we didn't run in fear and we lost. So we left. You're seeing it happen in California every single day. Like 165,000 people, I believe, last year fleed California. Florida's got 1,000 people a day coming to it. I think Texas is even more than that. Why? Oh, gee, I don't know, because it's called freedom. Never in history, never ever, did humans thrive when they didn't have freedom. It's like I said in my last episode. People are people. Whether they're running a corporation or they're running the government, you give too much power to a person, no matter what entity they work for, and by and large, bad things happen. And maybe that's where I'll wrap up here. I think that in America, one thing that's gone very sideways is everything's gotten too big. The government's gotten too big. Biz big business has gotten too big. And, and I'm a pro-business person, but, but what... <laughs> People get a bad rap about capitalism because they think that what they're seeing in America is capitalism, and it could not be further from the truth. What we see today is not capitalism. It's fake capitalism. You know how I know? Because I get to see all the perks and all the, all the side deals. Well, I don't get to see all of them, but right, I see enough of them to see that free market capitalism is, is like you go out on your own merits, based on the, the problem that you solve. And if you solve a problem that a lot of people have, then guess what? You succeed. That's not what we have today. We have special interests. We have buy-offs. We have payoffs. We have all these perks for these people. We have crony capitalism. And you know what? Crony capitalism doesn't help little guys like me in my business. It doesn't happen help people like you in your business. No, it helps big guys. I mean, I, I literally cannot get my head wrapped around this. So especially a place like Washington, they have come out, the political class, for as long as I can remember as an adult and talked about how much they don't like big business. They have all these garbage slogans like shop locally and all this crap. And I agree with those things, except for they don't actually do them. You look at the lockdowns, who has succeeded? All the big businesses. Whose moats? Like, listen, we're going to talk about money at some point in this show. And Warren Buffett says the number one thing that you should look for in any business you invest in is a huge moat. You know what a moat is, right? Like the old castles, they had a, basically a river or a lake, a body of water around them. There's a moat. And the bigger it gets, the longer the bridge would have to be to penetrate the fortress, the, the, the castle, whatever, the town. In business, a competitive advantage, something that you can't just reproduce is your moat. Guess what? Big business, huge business, the biggest businesses in the world, their moats are getting bigger and bigger and bigger because our elected officials won't let us go back to work because we're not essential. Because our livelihood and the livelihood of our employees isn't essential. It's crazy. And so what happens? The little guys, they go out of business and the big guys get bigger. But I thought you hated the big guys. I thought you were so pro-small business and so anti-big business, and yet everything you've done from a policy standpoint has only hurt small business and only made big business bigger. So which is it? You like big business or you don't like big business? You support small business or you don't? Because it can't be both. And based on your actions and the outcomes, it's 
not the small business. It's not positive small business. It's not. And it's frustrating to watch. And I, I keep going back to you. I, I don't know. Like, we need the Freedom Party. That's what we need. Not the Democrats, not the Republicans. We need the Freedom Party. We need people that say, listen, we might not agree on all these sidebar issues, but what we do agree on is freedom. You should have the freedom to live your life inside of the bounds of the law. That's what you should get to do. And if you break the law, you pay the consequence. It doesn't matter if you're rich or you're poor, or you're powerful or you're not. You pay the consequence. We don't have that right now. And so when I look at where do we go from here? How do we change things? Obviously, I said we pray. We put our faith and our hope in the truth of God's word and the promises that are in there. We know that he is in control. He has a plan. And I know there are, are, and I've struggled with this my whole adult life because there are those who say, don't, just don't get involved in politics. God's in control. You don't have to deal with that. And then those, there are others who say, no, 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 no. You, you got to get involved because if you really love people, like you want them to be free, People think Jesus was a socialist, and it's like, well, it couldn't be further from the truth. And that's maybe another debate for another day. But the reality is, is Jesus was like all about freedom, your freedom to choose whether or not you believed in him. If you didn't choose, that's fine. It's sad, but then you just bear the fruit of the decision. And if you do believe, then you bear the fruit of that decision. Some of that fruit doesn't grow, come to picking time until we die, right? But he was about freedom of choice. That's when people thrive, when we're free to choose, when we're free to choose to provide for our families, when we're free to choose to go to work tomorrow, when we're free to choose to go to church, when we're free to choose to have Christmas dinner, Thanksgiving dinner. I mean, We've just gotten to the point, and I know there's people that will listen to this and probably not like it, not, not agree with it. That's fine. I think that we can have conversations, and I'm not saying it's as black and white as you just get freedom to do anything you want. Like I said earlier, I think freedom to work within the, the bounds of the law. But here, let me tell you, tell you what I've been thinking about. Why is it? I mean, I understand the executive branch and their ability to invoke an executive order, right, especially in times of crisis. Folks, we've been going on like 10 months, 10 months of a state of emergency. And many of these politicians have not, especially governors, have not even addressed Congress. They have not addressed the House. They have not addressed the Senate. They are just up there doing whatever the hell they want. That's not America. A state of emergency should not last, in my opinion, 10 months. I don't think that this country in the executive branch, I don't think the purpose of it was, hey, for 10 months, you can be a dictator and call it a state of emergency. Because you know what? Here's what I've learned about politics. Here's what I've learned about the letter of the law in what I do for work. Once they find a loophole, they exploit it over and over and over and over again. And I see it happen every day. So this time, it's a pandemic. Next time, it'll be something else. Next time, it'll be something else. And they'll just keep, it, they'll just keep taking advantage of that loophole until we stop them until we vote for a law, until we have them pass a law that says, listen, yeah, you can have a state of emergency power. And then after, I don't know, let's say 
a month, it's got to go through a legislative process. You want to shut down everyone's business? Pass a law. Let the people who are supposed to be represented by their representatives have a say in how they're to be governed and how they're to be ruled. And do not continue to just say, oh, but we have to protect the vulnerable. Yes, we do. There's debate and there should be debate on an open floor about exactly how we do that. And yet we've had none of that debate. None. Because dictators want to be dictators. Because when you give too much power to one person, boy, they'll exploit it. It's human nature. And so, I guess to wrap this up, I, I would say that for me, I, I, I have to sort of lean into the hope that at some point, and I don't know where rock bottom is for us, but, you know, I've had addiction in my family that, that I've lived through. And what I've learned about addiction, and maybe you have as well, is usually it takes rock bottom, which is very sad and very scary. Because rock bottom is never a great place. It's usually a horrible place. And I, I look at America and I look at the state of Washington and California and some of these other crazy states and I go, it's going to take rock bottom. Do I want to be here for rock bottom? Not really. Do I want to bail on it? Not really. I don't know what to do. Maybe you, I mean, I shoot so many of my friends, so many people I talk to on a consistent basis don't know what to do. And so I, I look at this and I say, I don't know where rock bottom is. I don't know if it's California going bankrupt. I don't, I don't know. But at some point, we're going to hit rock bottom. And what I know is that every human, every single one of us, has an innate desire to be free. We do. We want to be free. And at some point, the weight of being ruled will get so heavy that people will stand up and say, okay, no more. We want freedom. We want freedom. We don't want you single person or you five people. Like think about it. there's 500 and something, I don't know the exact total, 500 and something congressmen and women and senators at the federal level dictating how we live our lives. 330 million people. It might be more, but it's something like that. It's, a, it's not very many is the point. And at some point, the 330 million people are going to wake up and say, wait, wait a minute, we want freedom. And I think you're seeing it happen. I think that the longer these edicts continue, the, the more it will speed up. And so for us, for us Christians, how do, we, how do we walk through this? Do we engage? Do we not engage? You know, Jesus said, if my world were, or if my kingdom was of this world, I would fight, but it's not, so I'm not. What do we do? I'll leave you with this. I don't know if this is right. I don't know if this is wrong, but this is what I think about a lot of times. God says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself, right? Those are the two commandments. He said all the law, all the prophets can be summed up in basically that. And I think now what we do is we debate over what the word love means. And I think what's unique about this American experience, what's so unique is we forget that the people in charge that are making the decisions represent us. They're a representative of us, just like we're supposed to be a representative of Christ, right? And so what's unique about America is when they are not representing us well or, or they're re representing us falsely, it's our duty 
for goodness sake, to stand up and say, nope, we're taking the represent, <laughs> we are taking your ability to represent us away. And we are going to put someone else in who represents us better. That's where we're at. That's why I think we have to be involved. We have to be active because guess what? Here's what I know. Here's what I promise. If we really love our neighbor and we see that, hey, if we keep going down this road, more of our neighbors will be homeless and on the streets. More of our neighbors will be getting involved in physical combat, conflict. More of our neighbors will have a harder time feeding their families and paying their bills. Guess what? If we love them, we'll stand up and say, whoa, guys, this is not good. We got to go a different direction. And I think that we can do that. I think that we can do that in a way that, like I started this whole thing off, that's patient and kind and gentle. That, that does it in, in love. That walks out the fruit of the Spirit. Because, and, and this is the thing for me, I don't know, maybe this will resonate for you, but when I, when I think about this and when I stew over it and when I research it and I get mad, I have to remember, like, the outcome isn't up to me. My job is not to engineer the outcome. My job is to speak the truth. That's my job. It's to, to go out to speak the truth and to let God do what God's going to do in the world. It's not to carry the burden of where are we going? Are we going to hit rock bottom? Is it going to get worse? If my, is my livelihood going to be taken away? All those things that produce fear and worry and anxiety are the things that God says over and over, give those to me. Put your faith in me. Don't put your faith in those things. They can take your body. They can take this life, but they can't take forever away. They can't take eternity. They can't take your ultimate purpose away. And so I think for all of us that are Christians, and we wade through these things, and again, I'm not saying everything I've shared here is, is necessarily the right thing, but I think these are all things that we need to talk about. But what I do think is that if we will have those conversations and take those stands in a way that actually walks out what the fruit of the Spirit looks like, I think God can use that. I think He can use that much better than if we don't, than if we aren't patient and aren't kind, and, and if we just go out and we're aggressive and calling names and, you know, picking fights. I don't think that that's something He can use as well, nor do I think will He. And so I think that in this trying time, as we try and dis discern for ourselves, I, this is how I feel for me. Y you've got to take how you feel up with, with him. It's between you and him. Like, that's the thing about Christianity. If you read Jesus' commandments, it was never like, oh, pass the buck to the next guy. It was like, no, you do this. You get engaged here. You don't do that. It, it's all this personal relationship where, where we have to personally reconcile what we're thinking, saying, and doing with the Lord himself. So anyway, I, I hope that maybe something in here spoke to you. Again, this was a, a tough week because there were so many different things to talk about. Maybe next time I'll talk about some of the fiscal things that are taking place and maybe what some of the repercussions might be of those. I do think that those are things that all of us who are wanting to be good stewards have to take into consideration. Uh, because I do think that the financial world here in the next five years is going to be potentially quite different. I think there will be some opportunities. I think there will be definitely some pitfalls and, and some booby traps. And so I think some of those are worth talking about and exploring. 
Uh, but today I just really wanted to talk about at some point we got to advocate for freedom again and, and we have to get engaged and get involved. And so for me, I don't know what that looks like yet other than doing this. Um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll keep my mind open, my eyes open, my ears open to what that might mean. And I'd love to hear maybe in the comments section of wh wherever you're watching or listening to this, how you think that might look. I, I think that we need some great minds to come together and say, how do we organize? How do we strategize? How do we, how do we start taking a stand peacefully, respectfully? Because if we don't, we're, we're not going to get what we're after. I would also maybe like to, um, I think it would be really cool if there are any of you watching this that would be interested in maybe putting some sort of a prayer chain together. Because I think that's the thing. When, when we're told as Christians we can't gather and we buy into that, I mean, honestly, all of a sudden, what, what do we find? We find that we don't have the camaraderie. We're not being the church. And so I think one of the ways that we could work together in this is let's put a prayer chain together. Let's put a prayer group together, a prayer meeting. I don't know. I'd love to hear any thoughts or comments you have, and, and I think that we're going to have to start making some real sacrifices if we want to see God move, and, and so I would encourage you to, um, to be a part of that. So anyway, let me know what you think in the comments. I'd love to have you check out the next episode. I'm going to try and post these. I think the plan is probably Monday mornings at 5 a.m. or something like that. You know, first thing of the week. Hopefully it's something that you can ch uh, catch on your way to work, assuming that you still get to work. Or, uh, I don't know, maybe maybe your early morning time or something. I'd love to have you keep following along and participating in this dialogue and this conversation. I really do appreciate it. We went uh, about 41 minutes, 42 minutes today. So if you're still here, I really do appreciate that because I know based on the YouTube thing uh, where you can go in and see, you know, most people last about 10 minutes, which I guess is pretty normal for the world's attention span today. But I do think that complicated problems require complex solutions, and they don't require sound bites and headlines. They, they require real in-depth conversation and, and dialogue, and so that's why these go so long most of the time. But anyway, thanks again for watching. I do hope you have a great, a great day, and I'll see you next time.